and welcome to episode 11 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 15th of May 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse. Uh, I'm late. Phelan. I'm on time. <laughs> and Ike. I'm pre. <laughs> We're not going for the Late Night Linux hat trick then. Okay, too much clearly. However, I think maybe we should start off with a little bit of uh, what have you been up to for the last fortnight. Me, not a lot. Phelan, not much. Fair enough. Ike, not so much. Joe. What have you been doing over the last fortnight? Any any podcast you've been involved with? Uh, yes, I may have started a new podcast with Chris from Jupiter Broadcasting called Linux Action News at linuxactionnews.com. And what's that about? <laughs> it's about abstract French art, mostly. The clue is in the name. All right, well, without further ado, should we do our own news? Yeah, let's do our own version of it, our own less organized version. So let's start with... Canonical are looking to IPO, so they're going to go public, or at least that is the plan. And Shuttleworth came out of this in an interview at the OpenStack Summit. Not a huge surprise, is it? We've been speculating this for a while, and now it's just come out and said it. I have my surprised face on. I detect a hint of sarcasm there, Ike. Yeah, very well put, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... it's don't really want to play up on the whole thing, you know, but it's kind of obvious. Did see it coming, fattening off the cow, trimming off the bits that they don't want. What's the businessy way of putting this here, you know, slimming the business portfolio. The signs are kind of there. I mean, anything's going to be a surprise nowadays with them? Not really. But there was a, a another article that someone wrote sort of looking at the the overall picture of uh, Canonical and, and sort of where they've come from and, and how this this news panned out. And just one of the things that sort of sprung out to me was the, you know, Unity has been going for six years and, and the convergent plan has been going for probably almost all that time, if, if not a slightly shorter. And he sort of said, you know, that means there's thousands of man hours and probably millions of pounds. And you just realise... What a large sum of money, um, well, Shuttleworth has put of his own money into this. And, you know, at some point, you do think it's going to have to get to a point where he thinks, well, we have to focus on what's going to make us money and make a return on it rather than just pouring all into this potentially bottomless hole. It's, it's just a bit heartbreaking that it means that we lose what is a very popular desktop environment and the whole plan for the convergent phone, which obviously, as nerds, we're a bit disappointed about. Oh yeah, my heart bleeds for the death of Unity. Yeah, well, not you necessarily, but you know <laughs> there were lots and lots of people who download Ubuntu and run it, and it runs absolutely fine. On the plus side, I mean, a pound isn't worth anything anymore, so it's not that much. <laughs> <laughs> but I watched this interview in full um, at the OpenStack Summit, and you could just see that he's almost like dead behind the eyes now, Shuttleworth. It's like all his passion has gone and yeah okay he's still a good businessman he's still good uh at being interviewed and stuff but you can just tell there's something different about him now there used to be this real spring in his step this real sparkle in his eye that he wanted to be the free software steve jobs which arguably he is but like i genuinely believe that he was like really focused on pushing free software and open source to the the masses and he wanted to make it a really viable platform for people and he had this huge dream of convergence and everything and now he's just realized that that was fucking ridiculous and he has to just cut his losses it was just never going to happen was it and so now he's got all the boring stuff like OpenStack and you know all the 
just the boring shit like servers and virtualization which okay you need to run all of the stuff that we've got um you know with mobile and edge devices but uh, maybe i'm just reading it wrong maybe i'm i'm projecting my own feelings onto him but uh i don't know, do, do, am i alone in getting that feeling that he's just given up now and he's just kind of tidying up shop so he can offload it and do something else it's good to know that my entire career has been based on boringness and you've just thrown it aside and now she's going to the top of the <laughs> well, it's not he's that exciting, it. is it? I mean, it's critical infrastructure for a lot of people. It's but very it's... exciting. Jesus. All right, well, I, I sit corrected. <laughs> no, I mean, you can see where I would imagine an awful lot of that is possibly down to the toll of seeing people that he's worked with getting axed. I mean, people who say, oh, he's a cold-hearted bastard, whatever. I'm sure the guy's human, and I'm sure watching all those people leave is just not even remotely nice to do. Even though you know you have to do it, you obviously realize that funds versus time, it's just not working. So it's got to take a toll. Mentally, the stress must be fairly awful. I mean, yeah, obviously the people who've been canned, it's even worse because they don't have a paycheck coming in. Um, But it's going to tell on you, I think. Yeah, like this idea that they were a family before. That Tech Radar article talks about that. It was like this free software family, not even like a real business. Whereas now he is making it into just a standard big tech business. And yeah, he felt that that family feeling came from the top, presumably. I mean, I've never met the fella, but my understanding of it is that there was a, a great warmth between him and all the employees, and there still is. But like now he's just he's having to distance himself. And so, yeah, I can see that he would feel really fucking bad for firing a load of people. I mean, this is effectively maybe like the industrialization of Canonical, because for years, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they've been kind of like a hippie company, haven't they? Yeah, you exactly. Know? They got a, they had a lot of money behind them. And part of it was dream chasing and dream enabling, which a lot of people loved. But this goes beyond just dropping the desktop. It's not like looked at the books and said, lads, we can't do this anymore. It's completely pull out of the desktop. And the problem that I see there is a lot of people know and themselves love Ubuntu because they started with it on the desktop. When they're administering their servers, they're using Ubuntu desktops and Ubuntu servers to do this. Now the whole desktop side is gone. The mobile side has gone. What Pete, some people would argue as their innovative edge has gone. And well, the desktop hasn't gone, has it? I mean, you're still going to have an Ubuntu desktop. Well, no, I mean, it still exists on the server side, but you know, people are going to view it the same way that you're looking at it, that it's boring. You can have innovation on the server side, obviously, but it's not going to be sexy to those people. But what I'm seeing is, I mean, this is just my interpretation of it, but this is all about money. Every last bit of this is about money. You know, they're, like you say, a proper company now. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. But then this is a perfect time to do it. You know, just what you're saying, where people who have got into open source and, you know, Ubuntu is the number one name and they've got used to it. And then it's a case of, well, now we need to do it on the server. I'm familiar with Ubuntu so I can continue, you know, doing the command line over the server, in my view. So people who have, have, uh, learned their trade on Ubuntu, have just carried that over to the server, hence why it's the most popular on, on Amazon and what have you. This is the time to do it when that is still a thing and, and people are doing that before someone else, you know, starts to overtake them or overlap and they can make the money now and 
you would think, become even more ingrained and, and the number one uh, distribution to go for. Disappointing that they're not so interested in the desktop, but I, I also agree with Joe that I don't think they're pulling out of the desktop as such. It's just taking away all the money they've put on on the desktop environment, but obviously keeping the desktop going because it's it's the the gateway, isn't it, for for people to be using their their distribution. Well, Shotworth said in that same interview something along the lines of the desktop is still really important to us, and there was an OMG Ubuntu article about it. But I'm just not having that, really. I mean, you're not going to just abandon your whole desktop thing and and go with GNOME if it's really important to you. The the book balancing, and a lot of the desktop teams are gone. And obviously, you know, we feel sorry for those guys because they've done a lot of great work over the years. But having a desktop is a lot more than just having that desktop environment you create. There is that support around it. There is the testing around it. There is the enabling around it. You know, making sure all of the application integrate that, that requires a team of people to be doing those. You can't just take stock upstream GNOME and add that stuff in. And for it to be what it's been over the few years, it has to go above and beyond just repackaging, uh, upstream vanilla software. And that's what they've been doing because it goes beyond what they've been doing with Unity. But there's no mention if that stuff's going to continue or not. And I can't really see it because they're effectively swapping out the primary desktop distribution for Ubuntu GNOME, right? That's now going to be their primary, as opposed to, you know, it's with the GNOME desktop. It's effectively swapping the face of the desktop distro. Well, yeah, it's basically a standard Ubuntu is going away and Ubuntu yeah. GNOME is being promoted. So they're replacing the default one. But mm. you, you just haven't got the... I mean, how many desktop staff they actually got still? I don't know. Because it's going to be nowhere near, nowhere near, not even a percentage of what they had before. And you're not going to get that investment before because they've shown they don't want to spend the money on the desktop, which therefore means they're not going to pay anyone beyond supporting the stuff that they already have out in LTS, which is keeping the Unity packages in the repos and other little bits and pieces around that relating to branding and that. But they're not going to put the money into it. So they're not going to pay anyone to do anything on the desktop beyond their support requirements for the LTS releases. So you may say that they haven't pulled out the desktop. They've definitely pulled their investment out of the desktop, and it was their investment that mattered. You talked about how it's more than just grabbing upstream GNOME and chucking it out and all the testing and stuff. Surely that's what Ubuntu GNOME, that team who have been working for free, have been doing, and so Canonical can just use their slave labor effectively. Well, if that was the case, then Ubuntu GNOME or any one of the derivatives would have taken over the official edition of Ubuntu years ago if it didn't require their investment and backing for the primary edition, because it would have already surpassed it in quality and popularity, but they didn't. So you've answered your own question, I think. Well, I don't know. I think that Ubuntu Mate, for example, is very popular, but it it's not the default. No. And same with Ubuntu GNOME, it's very popular, and most of the flavors are, I think. If you go to Ubuntu, you know, you've just, you've just heard about Linux. You've just heard about Ubuntu. You type into Google Ubuntu. You just download the, the standard default one, right? And, mm. and therefore, if Ubuntu GNOME is the default one, it's going to just instantly be popular, instantly more popular than being a discrete flavor. Yeah. But I mean, you, you could do that for anything. You know, if you swap out, it's like if I go to a shop and I get a, Let's say it's an unbranded sports drink, right? <laughs> we won't go with brand names. If I'm behind the counter swapping it out for something else, as far as you're concerned, you've bought the same product until you get home. 
and then you've been sold something else. So you can do that with anything. Just because it becomes instantly more popular, not necessarily. It just had more downloads because people wouldn't have known either way. I know that we're still going to have the desktop image. That's abundantly clear. But it demotes the status of their desktop edition to effectively a derivative. Because while it might be the official primary one, the current one that exists is a community spin. It is a derivative of Ubuntu. Therefore, the primary edition going forward, given it will have no further backing from Canonical, holds, in my eyes, the same status as the other ones that are out there, the other derivatives. That part doesn't change. Now, if we're going to talk about fighting it out on the, the value and worth of the thing... And this is not me insulting any of the projects, but had any of them became more popular and surpassed them in quality, the mainstream Linux users and people going to download them would already have gone for the alternatives instead of going for the main Ubuntu one, because it would already have outdone them. They haven't done that. People went for the main Ubuntu one because that was the version of Ubuntu they wanted. So if Ubuntu known was, quote, better than the one that's already out there, then people would be downloading that one because that's how popularity works. Not by swapping it out of the source, but by competing in the market. And the derivatives do, in a way, compete with each other for popularity and user base. Who's saying that Canonical aren't going to be supporting the main desktop environment now that it's GNOME and it's going to be... To the level that they have been before. Okay, so as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure you're going to correct me, but I want Phelim and Joe to come in on this first... As far as I'm concerned, I see the Ubuntu derivatives or flavors, sorry, uh, as Ubuntu with the desktop environment stripped out and a new one put in on top. Is that how you see it, Joe Phelan? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that too. And so this whole discussion about the fact that one would overtake the main distribution, what have you, they're the same base. It's just the the front looks different. Yeah, I, I take the opposite. I think that this not of you, but of what Ike was saying, I think this is a good thing in a certain sense because while Unity was a big investment, it was a big investment that was on its own as an island as opposed to, you know, what open source is meant to be and that's other people combining from all different places to work together. Now, that's a bit peace pipey, but I think it would be better if they can put a certain amount of effort into it, like the QA work, and test on the upstream stuff as much as they can and keeping it as upstream as they can do it and actually making it as reliable as we would come to expect from it. I think that's a better way of doing it than having to go off with your own X server and, you know, your own interface and your convergence and all that. You know, you're wasting time, I think, with an awful lot of that stuff. Um, If you can get back to work on everybody else, I think it's a good thing. Okay, I do think you're kind of missing the point with that. Like, I know that Unity, the way that they implemented it, yes, it was bad. Right? Don't get me wrong on that one. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the resulting software itself. Again, I'm talking about the investment. So they're not transferring those investments and those energies into the new edition. They're not. We know that because they've had a massive reduction in staff. That's not going to be happening. They're balancing the books and they're concentrating on the server and IoT. This much we already know. If they were transferring efforts on the desktop equally or to some significant portion of to support GNOME, then I would agree with what you're saying. I'm not going to agree with what you're saying because the fact is they've pulled all of that investment out and are no longer investing into the desktop stack. Instead, they're, if you like, merging 
with the the free teams that are already out there. So that is a massive reduction in investment. It's not about what the resultant software is. It's the investment and commitment that's come through it. The, the fiscal motivation behind it is gone. And that's the bit I have the problem with. But I don't think you can say so decisively that they've removed like the entire desktop team. They've removed a lot of people from Convergence because no more. Oh, I'm not saying they've removed everyone. Obviously not. They've removed everyone from you know the desktop environment because Unity is no more. But it, you can't just say they've removed you know 90% of the people from the desktop work workforce. And I didn't give a figure. You didn't give a figure, but the, the implication that you're saying, you're implying that they were getting rid of nearly everyone. And I think they've only got rid of, you know, the stream that was doing Convergent, the stream that was doing Unity, and the way that I'm arguing it sounds like Phelan is sort of think hopes it is or believes, from my point of view, believe it is, they've got the people who are doing the core work on the desktop, you know, uh, things like the delivering software, things like how you do the update mechanism, making sure the LTS is support, those sorts of things that will require the same number of people I have assumed with no knowledge or, you know, numbers whatsoever, but nor do you have any, like that they've kept that core set of people for the underlying uh, distribution. No, I mean, that stuff there is shared between all of the Ubuntu's. But that's not for the desktop stuff. I'm talking about the desktop stuff itself, right? Now, I hope to be wrong. Obviously, I hope to be wrong on this because I want to, basically, I want to still see continued competition between all of the projects on the desktop. But to say that because they have some people doing stuff in the core of it, then that also translates into man hours on the desktop, that's that's not accurate. That is in no way accurate. Because those people working on the core stuff, that's justified money. Because that's going to be enabling server and IoT. You know, it's going to go to money for things like snaps. That's going to go to supporting the LTS editions for the paying customers for the older versions of it, and more specifically on the server stuff. That then can't be directly applied because it's there. Well, they must also be working on all the GNOME packages. It's not quite the same thing. They're not going to completely pull out. Don't get me wrong. They're still going to have some people working in desktop. That much is clear. But what I'm saying is if you look at the raw fact of it, there are less people in the company and there isn't anywhere near as much money going towards desktop stuff. Now, that's not me interpreting numbers or making up numbers or giving statistics. That is fact, plain and obvious, put out by them themselves. Yeah, but they're not making a desktop environment anymore. Yeah. It, it's not just the environment. We're going in circles here. Yeah, like, say, 10 guys made Mirror. Well, they don't need 10, 10 of those guys anymore, do they? So they can go. I know not. it's not like one person does one job and then that's it. But I, I really don't think you need as many people when you know, you can make use of all the upstream stuff that you don't have to do anymore. It's almost like, uh, you know, server virtualization in, you know, Amazon. You don't need to have a bunch of server guys anymore sitting re-racking servers all the time because it becomes a commodity to you. Right, well, I think we've spent enough time on this, and especially given that the desktop is completely irrelevant now, the Linux desktop, (laughs) given that Microsoft have put so much investment into... Uh, the Linux subsystem for Windows. No, Windows subsystem for Linux. I never get that right. Because now SUSE and Fedora are going to be added as well as Ubuntu. So that, to me, is a pretty much a nail in the coffin of desktop Linux. Or at least, oh, okay, maybe that's a bit uh, a bit harsh and a bit dramatic. But given that desktop computing generally is on the wane, and given that developers are a key part of the demographic of people who are actually using Linux on the desktop... Now, 
they don't need desktop Linux anymore. Don't even need Linux anymore because you've got this subsystem acting as the kernel. I mean, I'm formatting my hard drive as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that? Sorry. Um, surely, I mean, explain to me how this isn't a PR stunt just to make them look like they love uh, Linux because, yes, they want people to use Microsoft products and Windowsy things, but who is going to not use Linux distribution because they can run it on their Windows. It's got nothing to do with Linux at all. It's to do with Mac. It's an attack against Mac because Apple has been eating their lunch for so long. Developers buying uh, a MacBook and using all the tools that essentially is the same as what we would use, you know, bash scripts, whatever, Git. And you can't do that on Windows Box because it's a terrible build environment because if you're not using Visual Studio, then it's it's worthless. Yeah, all the new shiny stuff, all the containerization, all that sort of stuff, you know, building your server farms out in Amazon, none of that's a Windows box. So they have to, you have to go along with whatever everybody else is using. So I think this is a complete attack against Apple. It's got nothing to do with Linux box at all. Linux is just the middleware in this case. Yeah, it's a way to get a prompt and yeah. they didn't like Sigwin. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way they're going to do this, they're going to have... You know, what any, like you say, any MacBook user can go and do, which is things like, you know, Vagrant, you know, the stuff that actually matters to people, Puppet, Chef, you know, all of those technologies that people like to use, but they want to real, as a quote, real desktop while they do it because they're not going to use Linux desktops, right? They don't want to hamper their pro- productivity, but then they've got a Unix like environment where they can do all this cool stuff and they can be web developers or administrators. Windows is just doing the same thing. And the fun thing is, what would have been really useful is if they'd actually have it for the server, but they don't, because it's only for developers, so therefore it's only on a Windows 10. So, you know, if you could actually SSH into a Windows box without having to use some bolted-together tool, it'd be brilliant. You actually might use a Windows server for something. Who in their right mind would use a Windows server for anything? People apparently like them. Sometimes. Lots of people. Apart from Exchange, I can't see any other reason. Well, look, how else are you going to get all your NHS documents encrypted by a third party outside your company <laughs> oh. if you're not using Windows? Oh, uh, we weren't supposed soon. to talk about this. <laughs> My uh, girlfriend rocked up to work today. She doesn't work for the NHS. She works for a uh, large other company. And she was like, oh, so people have been having these uh, weird windows come up and they haven't have been able to access their files and things. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> Have you got a minute to talk about Linux? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the company I work at, I've been working there for two years, never ever seen it. Halfway through the day today, an automated virus scan started. I've never <laughs> seen it in two years. <laughs> nice. Well, so it seems that it doesn't really affect Linux as far as you lot are concerned. I think it does, this adding Linux to Windows, but I think that it is going to eat a little bit of the desktop market share away from linux because you know i can i can picture dual booters basically gamers people who need windows for certain other um things like exchange or whatever they're going to converge (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i i just i can see them just booting into their linux partition less and less because of this and eventually just fucking it off what if it's the opposite, though? What if they say, well, I fucking wish I could use a system that actually has a decent command line like this thing has that I do my work in. If only it had a GUI, too. Oh, wait, it does. Oh, maybe I'll give that a go. Yeah, I mean, while this might not be from the top anyway, it's not an attack on desktop Linux. From some of their developers, it is. 
Like, I think you saw when I posted that tweet the other day into the Telegram channel, when some random guy up there, I can't remember his name, and I'm not going to start a legal suit either by mentioning his name, but it clearly did work for Microsoft. And I said, the year of the desktop Linux is here, it's just not on Linux. It's Windows. Ooh. And, like, I clicked on it. I was like, all right, all right. Oh, look, dickhead. Right? Oh, look. Right? <laughs> you know, you start getting all wound up about it. So I clicked on it anyway. It was like, it actually did work then. I was like, dude, that's not cool. <laughs> you can't say things like that. That's like old Redmond. Like, that's yeah, not the old new Redmond stuff. Old Redmond is very much there. Yeah, I mean, it's I still there at second. the core. Like, because it, it bled through so much that they... Like, you're seeing stuff like this, like, Microsoft, Heart Linux. It's so lovely, lovely, lovely. And then you got some caveman on the other side. Ah, man make fire, burn Linux. <laughs> and you can see that attitude. So they started off with uh, Ubuntu. Obviously, as we've, we've said, and everyone knows, it's one of the, the major Linux distributions on the server. Suzy, also quite a big enterprise distribution. Am I right in saying they've got Fedora because you can't have Red Hat, and that's the closest they could get? They could have had CentOS if they really wanted. Okay, yeah, fair. So so my question was then, what do we think the fourth one will be? Arch. Solus. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, because Solus no. really works well, doesn't it, without a desktop environment? Yeah, just wait till that black Humvee turns up outside your house, Ike. A couple of lads get out with bats. We suggest you give us the code. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it. I mean, I don't know, it's a little bit off topic, but... To me, the, the reason why I'm doing everything is basically the desktop and home experience for me to go on that. Not that I'd ever get the fucking chance, but I couldn't do it. For me, that would be compromising on my vision, and I just couldn't do it. What, for a million quid you couldn't do it? No, bollocks to him, because eventually I'll end up making my own million, and that's the way I see it, right? If I don't, when fuck it, I had a good time along the way. Good you man, Ike. I, I just couldn't do it. I'd, I'd be compromising, and there are certain things I just cannot compromise on. This would be me being basically saying to everyone, do you know what, lads, the desktop's dead, let's pack it in. We've all had a good go of it, but Jesus, now, don't you like that Docker and Vagrant, huh? We're on Windows. No, I'm not doing that. All right, well, that's enough Windows talk. Uh, let's talk about someone who's actually really friendly to open source and free software, the Raspberry Pi Foundation. Who? <clears throat> uh, yeah, so... I've put this as Raspberry Pi Foundation encourages kids to make their own Google Assistant in a box, which uh, is deliberately incendiary. Uh, the bottom line is that their free magazine, well, their magazine that they subsidize, the Magpie, it's not free, is it? It's about well, it's free to download the PDFs, but it's four or five quid to buy in a shop. And that this month came with um, a cardboard box. Well, it's a kit that you make a Google Assistant with a speaker and a button and some various hardware and stuff. And the reason that I wanted to talk about this was just to wind fail him up, mostly. Um, <laughs> like, what do you think about... I mean, it's aimed at kids, isn't it? I mean, you, they, they're basically trying to get kids into computing. And Minecraft has just shat the bed, basically. And so the only assistant that you could use on it, I mean, you could maybe get Alexa going, but they've done a deal with Google instead. And to me, it just, mm, I can see why, but I just, it doesn't feel good. I can see why. I think it's great that they're getting kids involved in coding and it's a cool project. It'd be awesome to build a box, press a button, talk to it and have it do stuff for you. I mean, that's cool. But it kind of goes along with 
the uh, food science books in the U.S. schools are sponsored by like Kraft and all the other food companies. Where you're thinking, mm. yeah, sure, a Mars a day is great for your health. You know, it's it just it's just wrong. It is really wrong to indoctrinate people that young. The fact that yes, if you want to do voice recognition, you've got to use Google. I mean, if you're gonna go to a job, yeah, you probably will end up using some API like that. But it just there's got to be a point where they just go, it's education. It shouldn't be based on one company's products. Well, why not um, Amazon then with Alexa? (sighs) (laughs) It's It's not much better, is it? Because the reason you don't go for the Alexa one is because with this, I'm sure I've read that you can have it uh, not talk to the... Oh, I was about to say not talk to the Google servers, but now I think about it, how would it interpret your voice and everything? (laughs) With your local quantum computer. I'm sure there was a local home a home version that you could like uh, mess around with all your you know your lights and what you want to play on your music hi-fi and all these kinds of things, uh, but you didn't actually have to make it send everything through the Google servers. Yeah, it's called Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the problem. With this, you know, like we we hear about all these great things going on in these great fields, and you see something like the Magpie, as they're calling it, right? And you're like, that's really, really great. Oh, it's using Google. Well, what if somebody had done something? Oh, wait, no, we've had countless half-assed efforts that went nowhere. And I know it's hard to say. I know it's hard to say, right? I know it's not nice to say. But we've had so many things that started out. It's like, we're going to do this, that, and the other. And it's like, oh, well, Jesus, let you know this is actually really fucking hard. <laughs> Why did we try? And then they just don't really go anywhere because, and I'm not slagging Minecraft off, but it's not what it was made out to be when they first started. You know, it's supposed to be artificial intelligence. Well, now it's a personal digital assistant, which sounds a little bit like Popey sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they still haven't delivered on their two crowdfunders. So, yeah. I mean, I know it's hard for them. They probably didn't have the money, probably didn't have the resources, and went in eyes bigger than the belly. But it's just a shame because it would have been nice to say, well, we have this open solution. You know, it's what everyone in the industry is using. We have this, you know, distributed database that anyone can use, but we don't have that. And I said the companies win again. I don't know. I think I'm starting to turn into Phelan. <laughs> Good. <laughs> He's winning. All right. Well, let's do one more story about Google, and that is Fuchsia, their forthcoming, shall we say, mobile OS that is maybe possibly going to replace Android at some abstract point in the future. It's whether it replaces Android and Chrome OS by being this, uh, you're going to love it, convergent sort of operating system, the right one run, right once run everywhere. But the, I suppose the sort of the major thing is that when we often refer to Android, we say, oh, it runs on the Linux kernel, isn't that lovely? But this is, they've made, on this, Google have made their own uh, sort of microkernel, which is nothing to do with Linux, and they've entirely put it to one side. And so if this does slowly but surely usurp uh, Android on, on your phones and tablets. We no longer get to say that, you know, oh, Google's massive um, phone operating system runs on Linux, which is uh, quite a, be a sad state of affairs, really. Yeah, but at least it's going to have a properly free kernel because it's going to be MIT licensed. Ooh. <laughs> oh, lad, he went there. <laughs> he did go there. We can drag it back. <laughs> I was waiting for failing to come and give all his copyleft love. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm too busy biting my own tongue off. <laughs> it, it's clearly they just don't want anybody to chip in. It's it's a closed project. 
and, and they don't want any help and they don't want anybody else to be involved and they don't want to be involved with anyone else either. It just happens to be open code while they do it. Because it's a business model that works for them, they can incorporate others' code if they need to because it's a permissive compatible license. It will be an open source closed product. Yay. But isn't that better than a proprietary one? No. Not really. Really? Because <laughs> at least you can have custom ROMs. No, because in this goes into the whole, and I hate, I can't believe I'm saying this, but <laughs> this goes into the whole open source versus free software thing. This will be open source. It will not be free software. And there is a, in this case, there is a distinct difference as well. And I hate myself for even saying it and fuck off feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, go download that Darwin kernel and stick it on your Mac and see how far you get. Oh, great. I have an open kernel. Yay. No, I think this is going to be more open than that, though. The whole thing is going to be. Can you contribute to it? Because those Git repos you see are mirrors of internal repos. So yeah, but the code is there. You can fork it. You can make your own custom ROMs. You can fork it. That cool. But are you going to get anything back upstream? I mean, that in itself is one of the major beauties of free software that you can actually get your changes back up there for everyone to benefit. But can you do that with Android now? For the Linux kernel, yeah. Yeah, but they're using the Linux kernel from about five years ago. Yeah, I mean. I- <laughs> It's kind of the same model that they have now where everyone is trailing behind on their snapshot, which they say goes out. So no, it's not really that different. And that's not great either. Like none of them are good. But you can kind of see that if they were working on this for so long that maybe their heart wasn't in updating to the latest one anyway. Yeah, I I read it was 3.18 is in the pixel. I would have thought that would have been up at four at least, but Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the latest version of Lineage for... Um, presumably our phones, well, I say our phones, you two, Phelim <laughs> and Jesse, you've got threes or something, 3T, Phelim. Yeah, well, that, that's a fairly new phone. I bet that's a three point something kernel as well. He says checking. <laughs> I mean, mine's a 3.1 something, I think. I don't know where my phone is. <laughs> yeah. What <Yeah>. a surprise. <laughs> yeah, 318 for mine as well, actually. Yeah, and that's ancient, isn't it? Yeah. If only there was some sort of base layer that we could all have an open thing where we didn't have to worry about drivers and we could actually update those bloody components. Exactly. That's why we should all move to BSD. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did hear that there's a new replicant release for a few, like, five or six-year-old phones. So, you know, there is hope yet, (laughs) even if it's distant. We'll fork Tizen and all will be good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, there's a new Tizen phone out as well. So, you know, it's not totally dead yet, but mm-hmm, it's all a bit but it grim, kinda isn't it? is. <laughs> it is depressing. It really is, though. It's like, lad, stop trying. It's kind of like when you see a drunk lad and he's up. It's say you've gone out and you're at the bar or something and you've just come back from outside and there's this one drunk lad and he's been trying to talk to this woman for about an hour and she's not interested. That to me is Tizen. <laughs> <laughs> It's on about his third drink by now. So. <laughs> yeah, seems fair enough. All right, then. So this episode of Late Night Linux is sponsored by Entroware. And Entroware are a dedicated Linux computer manufacturer based in the UK. And they ship various computers with Ubuntu and Ubuntu Mate 1604 and 1704. And they've got a pretty decent range of laptops and a server and a desktop and uh, I've actually had my hands on one of their laptops over the last couple of weeks, the Ether, 
which is a 15.6 inch laptop uh, with a 1080p screen and it's brilliant i really like it i've had no trouble getting various linux distros running on it and i uh lent it to you for a bit jesse and you were the same weren't you yeah, I'm very jealous of the 1080p screen. I now realize what I've been slumming it with on my various laptops, and uh, it, was, it was a bit hard to, to give it back, if I'm honest. Yep. And um, But as I said, they've got a range, so if you don't need a beautiful screen like that, you can save money and get a 720p one, or you can go right up to the high-end ones that have got dedicated graphics, um, and you can do all sorts of stuff with it, graphic design and 3D art and video editing, that kind of stuff. Um, and they update their models frequently. So they've got the latest KB Lake processors at the moment. Yeah, and you mentioned the desktops. They've got three desktops, one of which is the sexiest looking Nook type uh, desktop that I've ever seen. Um, the Aura, which is absolutely beautiful. So uh, yeah, if you're, you're not into laptops, have those as options as well. Yeah, and they're shipped to the United Kingdom, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. So do check them out at entraware.com. And if you do buy one of their machines, do mention us at checkout. There's an option there. Tell them you heard about them at Late Night Linux. And uh, let them know you heard about it here. So, yeah, check out entraware.com for all your Linux computing needs. And uh, right on to a bit of admin then. Thanks to everyone for supporting us with PayPal and Patreon. Much appreciated. And You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support to find out uh, ways to do that. And latenightlinux.com slash contact. There's all sorts of ways to get into contact with us. Twitter and Google Plus and uh, the Telegram group, which is latenightlinux.com slash Telegram. So, uh, yeah, come and chat with us there. Ike's usually in there uh, at night, and I'm in there drunk late at night sometimes. So earlier in the week, we recorded an interview, um, which you're going to hear now. I'm delighted to say we're joined by Preetam D'Souza, who is the lead developer and founder of Maru. So welcome to the show, Preetam. Hey guys, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no worries. So what is Maru then? It's, um, is it fair to say it's an AOSP-based ROM for a phone and a tablet that when you plug it into a screen becomes a Debian desktop with XFCE? Yeah, boom, that's pretty much it. Um, I like to keep it really simple and say, you know, we're software that lets you use your phone as your PC. Um, and I guess now, since we support tablets, I guess your mobile device is your PC. Yeah, so it was originally the Nexus 5, but now it's the Nexus 7 as well. Yep, that's that's right. We just released the uh, Nexus 7 2013 uh, with Wi-Fi. The, the beta for that we just released uh, about a month ago. Yeah, I've been trying it out, and you have as well, Jesse, haven't you? Yeah, it's good to have it on a device that I own. So previously, I think I, I stole Joe's like spare Nexus 5 and had a mess around. I was really, really impressed with the original one. And mm. yeah, this just means that I can have it uh, on a device that... Uh, let's say I would normally not, well, my, my current phone, I haven't flashed with anything else. So it's nice to be able to have it on one that mm. I would deem as a more portable device, use it on the train, go to my girlfriend's, flash it up. I've got Linux at hers, which is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually one of the reasons why I really wanted to get it on the Nexus 7. Uh, cause you know, a lot of people, you know, you got your main phone, you probably don't want to try some flash Maru and try something new that you don't know if you're going to like it or not. But at least with the Nexus seven, since it's a pretty popular Android tablet, a lot of people just have these things lying around the house. So it's a, it's a great, uh, gateway device to get in. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, on that topic, is there a plan for more devices? You know, are you looking at the Nexus line preliminary, you know, sort of, yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Nexus really is the best. Like, I think I mentioned this last time I was on the show, but uh, 
the, the Nexus line of devices is really, really open uh, with their software. Uh, Google's really friendly with those devices. They give us the device drivers and uh, some of the code we need to bring up Maru on those devices, so it makes it a lot easier. Uh, so yeah, uh, we the, the goal really is to support all of the Nexus devices. Uh, so we have the Nexus 5, the Nexus 7 right now. Uh, I'd really like to get it on the Nexus 5X and the Nexus 6P. I actually have the 5X myself. That's my main phone. Um, and I'm actually running Maru on the 5X right now. Uh, it's not completely ready for release just yet, but it, you know, it's, it's working. Uh, actually, the, the exciting thing about the, uh, the Nexus 5X and some of the new, the new Nexus devices is that they don't have uh, HDMI output, uh, which, was, which, we, which we're actually using the Nexus 5 and Nexus 7. Uh, so that's kind of pushed me and pushed the project to look at other ways of doing display streaming. So uh, with with the alpha and the beta for the the alpha for the Nexus 5X, uh, we actually have a very early patch set for allowing a wireless streaming uh, for Maru, which is pretty exciting. Oh, what protocol are you using for that then? Yeah. So um, what what I've actually done for that patch set is I, I found a way to hook into uh, Android's uh, display stack. So we we can actually work across. Well, theoretically, we should be able to work across any protocol that's supported by Android. That means uh, we can do really, really cool things like work with Chromecast, um, work with uh, Display Display Link, I believe it's called, uh, which supports which does the USB transmission over uh, which is HDMI transmission over USB. Oh, cool. One thing that occurred to me um, with now you've got it on a tablet is uh, at the moment you can only get the Debian desktop on an external screen, but it would be nice if you could have it on the screen of the tablet because it kind of doesn't make mm -hmm. sense on a Nexus 5, it's too small, but mm -hmm. are there any plans to make it so that you can do it with just the device on its own? Yeah, so um, as a as a built-in feature, Maru, there's actually an issue on GitHub open on that, I think, but the, the way people are doing it, people are actually doing this right now, and the way they're doing it is they're just setting up uh, like X11 VNC uh, on the desktop, and then they're just downloading a VNC app on the Android side, and they're streaming the desktop directly on their on the mobile device uh, display itself. Because it will run in the background, won't it, without mm -hmm. a screen attached? Yeah. Now that that's that was uh, that was released, I believe, um, a couple of releases after we spoke, actually last time. All right. And so, is it still just you working on it then? Uh, no, so fortunately we have a, a few more developers in the community who are, who are starting to chip in. Um, I'm still working on, I'm still doing most of the, the core, core work from ROS, but, uh, I, we're, we're starting to get people who are contributing to the ports now because obviously I don't have all the devices. Um, so, you know, with 0.4, the release we just had last month, um, we have work from two developers in the community. This is the first release that's featuring uh, code from the community, which is which is really awesome. I'm really proud of that. Uh, the Nexus Seven actually was was taken care of uh, by one of our community developers. His name is Tyler. He did a great job there. And uh, one of our other developers, who's from India, is actually working on. He's merging in all the latest security patches from Upstream AOSP, uh, which is pretty pretty cool. So you mentioned 0.4 there. I just wonder whether you have like a, a target or you know a blueprint for what you expect to see at version 1.0. Because we, we often see some of these, uh, certainly Linux applications, sort of go from 0.4 to 0.5 to 0.6 and never quite <laughs> get to 1. And I'm wondering whether you have some sort of target you're aiming for. Yeah. Um, for, for one, I mean, 
That sounds like a no. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of arbitrary. I just increment the version number, honestly. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. At least I haven't planned for a you know version 1.0 release or whatever. It's just kind of one of those things, I guess, when you feel, feel like it's ready, it's ready. So one thing I wanted to ask you about is um, the end of life of these devices. Now, officially, the Nexus 7 definitely is end of life, uh, normal security patches. You said that Google are pretty good with the code for these devices, the drivers and stuff. But do, how does end of life affect that and, and custom ROMs? Yeah, this this is a really good question. Um, uh, I've had to deal with this stuff because it turns out that the Nexus 5 itself was it was end of life uh, in October, uh, just this past October. Uh, so basically, the way I think about it is that there are kind of when a device is end of life, we basically don't get any more uh, security patches or updates for the device specific components of the ROM. So, for example, with the Nexus 7 and now the Nexus 5, we won't we will not get security updates for the uh, the binary drivers that are required in the ROM. So like Qualcomm uh, drivers, uh, et cetera. Uh, we also will not get kernel updates because the Nexus 5 is using a 3.4 kernel and Android has since moved far ahead now. However, we still do get the core platform updates uh, because uh, those uh, the core updates are, are are general, right? They're just for the main version of Android, whatever version of Android it is right now, um, and so those apply to all devices. So, uh, in in terms of what it means, what this means for Maru is basically, if you're using an end of life device, uh, you will not be receiving kernel updates or uh, device driver updates, but you will be still receiving core platform updates. So you focus on the Nexus devices because of the access to drivers, and um, what would a another manufacturer have to do to be able to allow you to to go onto their phone I'm, I'm thinking more sort of along the lines of the OnePlus, where they're very friendly with the open side of things with uh lineage what would they need to do to allow you to to run it on theirs yeah um they should really look at uh how nexus does it as the as the case study for that uh because it's not uh, it's not too hard to do uh, basically what what we need um uh, is we need a device repository to kind of start out with. Uh, this is kind of the device configuration code that we need to build to build a ROM for for a device. Uh, so the Nexus, basically in the Nexus Five, um, all the Nexus devices they provide. There's an upstream uh, device configuration repository that we can fork um, and use as the basis for the ROM. Uh, we need that, and we need the device drivers. Uh, so you know if. All, and for the device drivers uh, for Nexus, it's basically just a, a zip file that we extract uh, into our development environment, and all of those blobs kind of get pulled in to our build. Right. You mentioned kernel updates and not getting any. I mean, presumably you need certain kernels to use the features for the containerization that you use. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, um, so it turns out that pretty much all of the Nexus devices, I believe... Uh, have a recent enough kernel that supports uh, namespacing features, which we need for for the containerization. Um, 3.4 is what we're using on Nexus 5 and Nexus 7. Um, it doesn't have all all the namespace support, but it does have the the parts that we need, namely uh, uh, process namespaces and network namespaces. All of those things work, but some of the other namespacing features, like um, 
uh, was it, I think, username spaces. And those, those don't work on 3.4. So we actually have to go ahead and, and patch some of those things out <laughs> to, make, to make the kernels build. Because is it LexD and LexC that you use? Yeah, yeah, we use we use LXC. Yep. Um, if you go to if you go to our GitHub uh, repo, you can you can see the repository uh, that we use for LXC. We use a fork of LXC. We're on version uh, 1.0.9 right now. And, and the cool thing about that is that uh, we've kind of broken that out into modular piece. So if you if you have another ROM and you you kind of want to tinker with LXC, actually I think the the folks who are who are working on NetHunter, the NetHunter ROM, are actually uh, forking our LXC repository right now to potentially add uh, containerization uh, for their ROM too. That sounds like a lot of forks. Do we need so many forks or can't <laughs> people work together? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully you, you contribute back up. But <laughs> no, it doesn't always work out that way, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, exactly. So I think last time we asked you, I say last time we, we spoke to you on, on Linux Luddites, but there was uh, there's no Google Play services when you install mm-hmm. Maru. Is that uh, intentional? Is there a way of installing them that's easy? Or is it just a case of that is such a big headache, we're going to leave it as that and uh, F-Droid is perfectly fine? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of legal things around the Google Play Store. Um, we have to get officially licensed from, from Google in order to ship those on our devices. Um, it's kind of a big process. So, you know, it's fairly easy to get the Play Store now. Uh, to restore the Play Store to your device using something like Open OpenG apps, um, we actually have a guide on our forums talking about how you can easily get the Play Store installed. It doesn't take more than uh, five or ten minutes to get that done. Yeah, I mean, once you get to the stage where you can flash Mara, you should be able to flash the, the Google apps. No problem. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done it before. Yeah, exactly. even you've done it. Okay, right, must be easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know that that's actually something. Uh, I've been trying to make easier. Uh, uh, we have the easy installers available right now. I don't know when you guys installed Maru. Did you did you use the installer or did you use the uh, the flashable update zip? I just used Twerp. Use Twerp. Okay. Yeah. So we actually um, we actually offer easy installers um, for all all platforms that can do the the install really quickly in just like a, in, in like two or three minutes. Um, so I'm trying to kind of automate as many steps as possible because, you know, technical folks like you, it's it's really easy. But a, a lot of our users, actually, um, over 50% of our users are using those easy installers. So people who don't have as much experience flashing ROMs and stuff like that. Is that just bundled ADB and Fastboot, basically? Yeah, bundled ADB, Fastboot, and then uh, platform scripts, yep. All right. So it's um, Android 6... Well, Android 6.0.1 on the Nexus 7, I assume, same for the Nexus 5. Mm-hmm. What is involved with moving up to the latest version of Android? Because we're on seven, seven point something. Yep, that's right. Is 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 there is there just a case of keeping your um, part over the top and, and changing the base out, or is it like a complete rebuild from the bottom up? You know, is is it a huge headache that you're putting off for ages, or are you about to step up to that next level, the next level to, to the newest Android? Yeah, um, I, I definitely want to get to the newest Android uh, because it makes my life easier. Because you know, with all the the new security patches and stuff coming in, they first show up on the on the Android N branches, the seven branches. Uh, so it makes actually management of the project a lot easier. The the it is one of those things that you do that you do put off though because it honestly is a pain in the ass, uh, and it really depends. It 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 depends on on each version because sometimes sometimes it's really easy. Um, if there are no breaking API changes uh, inside the system, and because and, Maru is a custom ROM, we actually use some of the internal system APIs, and those those are open to change 
uh, unlike the public-facing application API. So if 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 it so happens that something changes, um, then we have to go and maybe have to re-architect a, a different part of Mara. So it it can be challenging. Uh, I will say that I've already started tinkering with with Android N, and it doesn't look too bad. So uh, that's that's definitely one of the things coming up. But isn't it a case of like you've got all the stability, you get it to the point where it's all working perfectly, yeah, and exactly. then you have to completely start again? Boom! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bingo. Uh, that, that's really that's really what the challenge is. Because every time we move up, we have the stability tested again. And so there was obviously recently in the news the um, dropping of Ubuntu Touch. Um, do you think that means for you that there's no confidence in something which is sort of a uh, I want to get around the word convergent, but it's going to have to, uh, going to, have to be there. So a convergent device, um, or do you think that that means that more people are going to move over to Maru because that's one of the, you know, the, the one of the options they have now? Where, where do you see uh, the fall of Ubuntu Touch? Yeah, um, that's interesting. I, I, I think, uh, I think, I mean, I, I think we'll see a lot more people coming into Maru OS right now, uh, which is, which is great for the project. Uh, because I still think that there is uh, a, definitely a use case for uh, for you know convergence like software and and the thing is you know I never actually thought of Ubuntu Touch as as a real competitor to Tomorrow OS just because the way we're going about it is so different right uh, with Ubuntu Touch they're they're trying to push their platform Ubuntu on on uh, both the mobile side and the desktop side whereas with Tomorrow OS we're really trying to take the best of both worlds the best of Android and the best of Linux and combine them in a way. Uh, that that gives more value, uh, so I, I think we have our own separate uh, area of the area of the spectrum, and I think now that Ubuntu has has dropped ha, ha, has dropped the has dropped the ball on their their product, I think we're gonna start uh, grabbing some more some more of uh, their users, which is pretty cool. And I suppose Samsung as well is kind of vindication because that looks like they're trying to do it as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, again, like since since. Uh, you know, we launched Maru. Uh, there's been so many different uh, attempts to to make this happen. At least I'm I'm hearing about it more in the news and stuff like that, uh, which is which is really cool. So, at the moment, you can only use XFCE, right? I mean, that was the case last mm-hmm. time, and from what I can see, you can't log out and uh, log into a different desktop environment. Are there any plans to uh, to add that feature? I would like to. Um, but there's so many things that I'm working on right now that uh, that one kind of isn't high on my priority list right now. Uh, because well, it wouldn't be for me because I use XFCE. I'm sitting okay. here <laughs> looking at it now. And yeah. Debian with XFCE seems like a, a pretty good combination to me. But I just know that there, there's some people who think that XFCE is a bit old school and they, they would want GNOME or KDE. I know Phelan would want KDE. It's, it's maybe not wanting GNOME or KDE or something, but something lighter even. Because I mean, the you know the Nexus Seven is a 2013 tablet that's four years old now. It's not mm-hmm. exactly uh, the the fastest processor and the biggest amount of RAM and all that. So potentially having something that's even more lightweight, so you're not using the battery and all these sorts of things. That there, there are those um, thoughts to be had. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think XFC works fairly well, actually, um, in terms of like consumption and and uh, battery usage. It, uh, it seems to be pretty good. We we actually made some improvements when we moved to Marshmallow and stuff like that. Uh, we're actually like t- tuning down the frequency of the cores uh, better than it was when uh, with the zero dot two versions earlier on. So battery usage is a lot better, even when you're using the desktop. 
How are you managing your build backend? Um, is that all funded by yourself now at the moment? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we have, a, we have a little bit of cash flow coming in from uh, affiliate marketing because uh, we, uh, we, we, there are certain accessories. Uh, if you go to our website um, and you can check out accessories because you need, you need like a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse and you need a, like a SlimPort adapter to get your devices connected to your display to really make use of MarOS. Um, and what we do is we kind of get a little bit of kickback from, from, from the sales of those accessories. So we make just enough basically to cover the, <laughs> the server costs. I've got a suggestion for you, right? What you want to do is, is find someone who makes an app or software and then put that into the, the binary so that when someone loads it on their phone, you get the app straight away and then they can pay you money. And in fact, you can have loads of apps. Yeah, make sure you can't remove them either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> keep them like really fixed in their hard and uh, people would really appreciate that. They really thank you for that. Yeah, maybe some Microsoft stuff. I, I heard that went well for Cyanogen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have to say that it's nice that when you load Maru, there is like... There's like half a dozen apps. There's like nothing at all. A clock and a settings. It's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. That it's it's so bare bones. <laughs> I mean that that was my goal. I mean, I built again like one of the 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 key users for MarOS is myself. So I kind of built it for myself. And one of the things I was really tired with seeing is you know when I get a Nexus Five or Nexus Five X stock from Google, it's like stuffed with all the Google applications, and I can't even delete them. So <laughs> they're, they're eating up all the space and I just don't want to see them there anymore. So when I built Maro, I said, you know what, I'm gonna, it's going to be completely bare bones. It's going to be basically only the apps you need to have the most basic smartphone experience. Um, and from then on, you go ahead and customize it. You install what you want. But, uh, you know, Maro shouldn't be uh, telling you what to install and what not to install. Yeah, definitely. So any plans to get it on a, a device um, sold as new then? Uh, a device sold as new? Uh, well, as in like working with, you know, an OEM. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, so, so a lot, a lot of the time, um, I spent in 2016, uh, was not just on the open source project, but I, again, I think I mentioned this, uh, at the end of our, of our last conversation, but that I had quit my job to work on, uh, on MarOS. Yeah. 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 And so, so I was spending a lot of my time doing kind of, you know, business development and trying trying to see what would be possible. Like, can I, could I possibly get MarOS shipped on a new device stock so that users uh, would kind of have that experience uh, right out of the package. And, you know, I, I did, I, I talked to several people, there's, you know, smaller OEM manufacturers, you know, if there's one, one in Italy, a couple in Europe, actually. Um, and we, we got to the point where, you know, we had the deals ready, but they never, they never ended up really, uh, being fruitful in, in the end. Uh, so nothing, nothing really happened in 2016. There, there's still a couple open. Um, the conversations are still, are still open, but nothing conclusive yet. Yeah. Cause it seems like that is a more reliable income stream mm -hmm. revenue stream than Amazon, which you're using at the moment, because Amazon yeah. do have a tendency to just pull the plug on people. That's, that's right. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I really wanted to make, uh, Mario's growth sustainable. That, that was important to me. Uh, so, so I did, did all this stuff and, 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 you know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people are really interested in the idea of shipping, uh, MarOS stock, stock on devices. Uh, we just need to see, we need to work out, you know, some of the, the pricing details and the licensing details and all, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope it, um, works out and I hope that you can get some money coming in and maybe hire some more devs and, and accelerate development on it. Cause it's a really good platform at the moment. It's, um, it's, it, it to me, it's what, canonical should have been doing with ubuntu you, you've got 
Android, you've got Debian, or in their case, there's no reason why it couldn't be Ubuntu. Or yeah, that's actually I should ask you that. There's no reason why someone who took this code and ported it to another device that couldn't use Fedora or Ubuntu mm-hmm. or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely right. Um, uh, you know, if, if if there are any listeners who are who are interested in MarOS, you, you know, you don't like Debian, you want you want some other desktop distro, like please check out our, our GitHub page. Um, there's a repository called Blueprints there. Um, and you can, I've kind of structured it in such a way that you can add your distro uh, looking at the Deb, looking at the Debian uh, canonical version that we're using right now um, as a, you know, kind of as a, a, a as a template. So it, it should be fairly easy to do. Um, I, I believe someone in our community actually already has uh, some version of Ubuntu running on it. So uh, it's out there in the wilds. <laughs> Yeah, people are going to say Arch. I want Arch running on it. That's uh, yeah. I reckon one of the, the you know the kind of person who would want to do this probably would want Arch. I reckon. Yeah, it, it, as long as it's uh, especially if it's Debian based, um, I think seventy five, sixty to seventy five percent of the work is already done because you can leverage what we're doing right now. Uh, the way we hook hook on is that we actually have I've I've made a Debian package that you can install on top of a fresh. Uh, Debian install that will kind of maru maruize it, uh, so to speak, and uh, let it communicate with with the with the ROM. So, if you have any Debian based distro, you can kind of leverage that. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, it was great to speak to you again, and um, hopefully have you back on at some point in the future. Yeah, that sounds good. Thanks, guys. Well, that was really cool to catch up with Preetam, and I've got so much faith in Maru as a project, Maru OS. I keep uh, being off-brand and calling it Maru. I think that he's uh, trying to call it Maru OS for SEO reasons <laughs> these days. Um, but it's a really cool project, and I'm um, really... I think that it's, that is the future of convergence. I'm not wrong, am I? No, I haven't messed around with it on the, the Nexus 7 and previously on your Nexus 5. It's nice having a screen that you can touch and swipe and do all the things you want to do on a normal Android device, but then also it just flashes onto a full-size monitor or TV and you've got your your standard Linux desktop and, you know, a bit of Bluetooth and you've got all your keyboard and mouse and things. So it's, it's nice. And the fact that people are uh, contributing, and he's, you know, got more devices uh, looking like they're setting up. I think, I think we're talking to Mofair about him going to Mobile World Congress or one of these other sort of um, uh, developer type type areas and it sounds like a lot of people are really interested there so it's it's slowly but surely getting there and, and yeah it just needs to uh have a big break and i think it'll be be very popular yeah i think it'd be great if we uh would actually just make it work from my phone i think <laughs> uh, i don't think that's too selfish to ask <laughs> well send him on and he might <laughs> but now that you're on first name terms with him i'm sure i'm sure he'll sort it out oh totally well, you never know. There does seem to be interest in porting it to other devices, and the OnePlus phones are very popular with people who like custom ROMs and stuff, so fingers crossed. But I suppose we'd better wrap it up then. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and yeah, don't forget to check out Linux Action News if you want to hear more of me. But in the meantime, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Jesse. And I'm Salaiki. See you later. <laughs>